So I'm gonna continue on with the Silence and Song series that we've been sitting with. As you know, some of you, most of you, we're basing it out of first chapter of Luke, this incident that occurs around um, the birth of John, who would later be called John the Baptist, and particularly as it relates to his father, Zechariah, and how he was told about that news. This is, in a way, a big part of the Christmas story, and Zechariah's wrestling with God to open himself up to promise is something that I'm hoping will resonate with all of us as well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read reread a portion of the scripture that we've been exploring. And we're going to just, this part of it, we're just going to scroll down. I want to reset everything very quickly and then jump into something. I want us to not only enhance our learning, but also to take something with us as we leave, not only into tomorrow, but into the rest of the week heading into the new year. It says that when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were very careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. That is, they were sincere believers, and they practiced following the Lord. They had no children, though, we're told, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. She was barren, and they were both very old at this time. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, we talked about how when you read that, it seems like, oh yeah, one day he was given this, this um, assignment to go burn incense. We forget what a significant day that was. It might happen, might happen one time in the life of a priest. He was old. There were younger priests coming in. It wasn't like a seniority system. It was a random calling and if it fell to you to go, it would be your day that you would get to go into the holy place in the temple and represent God to God, your people. It would be what you would call the highest, the highest thing you could ever do. The greatest honor that you could ever do as a priest would be this. But it wasn't guaranteed. And there were some people who never had the opportunity. You could only do it once in your life, one time in your life. It represented the most sacred thing you could ever do. And on that day, we're told, Zechariah, he was there to serve, but on that day, he was called to be that man, to be that person. And it would have been for him like, the most significant thing, I can say it, almost of his entire life, certainly of his career. It says that he was chosen while he was on duty, and he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And it says that while the incense was being bur burned, a great crowd would stand outside. They were praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, the scripture just unfolds this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, and God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. Now, that's what we just read. We must try to, in our mind's eye, because otherwise it loses something here. Okay, most of us, I think, have seen a picture of the, what's sometimes called the Western Wall in Jerusalem. The way, sometimes it's called the Wailing Wall, but it's, it's really the Western Wall. It's the outer rim of a retainer wall of what once housed the great temple. At the time of Jesus, there would have been a temple there. It had been refurbished, rebuilt. It was called the Second Temple. 
Solomon had built the first one. The second one had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel, but it was not good. Herod, who was known as Herod the Great, was a great architect. And he rebuilt that temple at the time. At, so by, by the time of Jesus, it was magnificent. It had been restored. It was beautiful. Beautiful. The priests would come. They would come at different times of the year as they were rotated in, right? In Zechariah's case, there was this part of the temple. There were different courts that people could go into to pray and to honor God with. And some of the gospels take place at different parts of the temple. But there was an area of the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles where the Gentiles could, could go no further, a court of the women as well. There were courts where men could go, go no further, when the priests could only go as well. And the, I, there was this other place, this room, that was called the holy place. Not anybody could go in there. Um, you, you had to have a purpose in going in. And again, if, if you were to go in there uh, to pray for your people, uh, it was something that would only happen once in your life if you were a, pr a priest. And so imagine this room. And it was, a, it, was, um, it was a room that wasn't large, but it was dark. It's high ceilings. And it, was, it only had three things in it. On the one side of the room, when you would, if you were walking in, say you were walking in, right? You're walking into, this, into the holy place. You would notice to your right, even though it was a little bit dark, you would notice to your right there's this table. And on this table, it was overlaid with gold. There would be bread there placed on it. It was called the, the table of showbread or the table of his presence. The bread representing the sustenance of life offered unto God. There were, it was bread on the table. So it was one thing. On the other side of the room, when you would walk in, you would see... Uh, um, a, what we would call a menorah. Can, you know what they are. You've seen them. One, two, three, with the one in the middle, right? Seven, seven like oil-lighted candles, if you will, right? Like a candle, like it's just sitting up there, and it would be flickering, lighting the room, right? And then there was, that was it. There was nothing else in there. You would come, you would walk over. There was over here, there would be another thing. It would be an altar. And on, that was what he was, when he was given, he, Zechariah, he was given this incense. By the incense, it was a sweet incense. It was intentionally, if you read the book of Leviticus, which it's not like the place where everybody goes to read, right? You read your Bible, that's like where a lot of Bible reading stops in the book of Leviticus, I'll tell you that right now. But in the book of Leviticus, it actually gives you all these descriptions and details about everything meant something, all right? Even the incense itself that was offered was to be, as it offered in prayer, was to be a sweet incense offered up to God. And he would have these coals in his hands. It would be, and he would take it, and he would walk into this room, and it was dark. It was flickering light. But he would make his way. He knew what to do. He had been trained to do it his whole life, waiting for it. He takes it, and he's making his way to the altar of the incense, right? He's right there. Oh, and by the way, those two things, the showbread, the bread, and the candle, the only things in this room besides the, the altar of incense. Remember when Jesus says, he says, two, he describes himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Those aren't, those aren't just sta random statements. The light, the bread. The, pr the prayers that would go, oh, and you know what else was, was there? You wouldn't have missed it. You would have been unable, because it wasn't just the holy place. There was this huge, some people, it seems between 40 and 60 feet high, super thick, 
There was a curtain that went across the back. Beautiful. And it separated the holy place from what was known as the Holy of Holies. It was patterned after the tabernacle. And the Holy of Holies, no one could go in there but the, the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement to represent the people. In the original tabernacle, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It represented the very presence of God. And it's no coincidence when you read about Jesus and his death on the cross, you know what happens? It says when Jesus says and dies and says it's finished, that this massive curtain, which was a barrier to the very presence, holy presence of God, was rent or torn apart top to bottom. It is finished. Right? The whole thing splits open. What does it say? God no longer resides in a place made with human hands. But now in the heart of a believing man and a believing woman, the presence of God is accessible. Okay, Zechariah doesn't do any of that stuff, all right? He's like, he's like, I'm coming in, because that's all ahead. He doesn't realize he's just part of, he's part of this thing that God's doing, this, this thread that God's about to open up. He's just a part of it, but he doesn't realize what a part of it is. He thinks, this is the greatest thing in my life I get to do. Oh, it's the most holy, sacred thing I'll ever do. Okay, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to do everything that I've been trained. I know what to do. Oh, God, I know what to do. I don't know, I know what to do. He takes it, he takes it, and he's making his way. No one else is there. Just the altar, right? Just the altar. The altar of incense. He's taking it there, we're told. And he gets there. And I imagine he begins, as he starts to go, and he begins to pray. And all of a sudden, we're told exactly where it was. There's this figure on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah. And his first, he, he senses the figure there, right? Who are you? You're not supposed to be here. Who are you? When he says, Zechariah, he, know, he knows my name. Who are you? First, he's absolutely terrified by this. Who are you? What are you doing here? Did I do something wrong? Am I going to die? Right? Any of those things. Look what it says. It says, he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. God, this is your prayer. Yes. And you know what? Your wife. What prayer? Your wife, Elizabeth. Well, this prayer, I, well, yeah. She's going to bear a son. And this is the name that you're to give him. What prayer? My wife's so... You're to name him John. Who are you? What is this? What are you talking about? What's going on here? John, you were to name him John. John means God's grace. John means God's goodness. God me John means God's goodness on display. That's what you were to name this boy. Now, let's go, let's go to our handout. We'll, we'll read this together. You have your Bible, follow along. He, let me tell you about this young man. You're going to have this boy. He, you will have joy and gladness. Verse 14, you see it there. And many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That is, he is to live a life of exceptional restraint. That's what he's saying. And he's going to have an anointing on his life. You're going to sense the presence of God from his earliest moments. And let me tell you what this, this miracle son is going to do. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. 
He will be a great reformer, much like the last great prophetic reformer, Elijah. In fact, he says he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Prepared for what? Prepared for Messiah. He is going to prepare the way like a farmer out in the field, tearing out the, the rocks and clearing the field for the seed that is going to be scattered. He is going to prepare the way for the promised one of God. Do you realize what God is doing, Zechariah? That's your son. That's going to be your miracle son. He's going to open up the door. And Messiah is coming. The long ago promise. It's coming. It's coming to pass. And you are a part of it. And you would have thought, okay, I'm, I think the angel whose name, we are given very few representations of, of an angel ever showing up, let alone a name in the Bible, but we're told it's Gabriel. And, I, and, and Gabriel, I'm suspecting, is thinking, oh, after Zechariah hears this, he's going to, oh, he's going to, ah, right? He's going to go, no way. No way. Are you see? No way. Ah, God. You know, he's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise God. He's thinking, I'm gonna, he's going to be dancing around. Ah, oh, the Lord is good. My long ago prayers are answered. Everything. I can't believe it. My wife is going to have a child. His name is going to be John. Oh, this is, this is amazing. God is so good. Who are you again? What's your name? Gabriel, Gabriel right? Listen. But that's not what happens. That's what was supposed to happen. What happens is, well, it's a question, and if not cold, it's at least doubtful. I don't know who you are, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you aren't who you say you are. I'm not quite sure how you got here. I don't even know what you mean by what you just said to me. You know what? I'm going to need a little bit more than that before I'm going to be sucked into believing such a thing. Look what he says, verse 18. How shall I know this? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. I, how am I going to, look, how shall I know? You're going to need to give me a little bit more than that. For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How can I know this is going to happen? If you haven't noticed, my wife is no spring chicken anymore. And I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this is not possible. Take it at its best. <laughs> Quite the opposite, my friend. She's very old. As you, if you haven't noticed, so am I. So as much as I appreciate whatever it is you're saying to me, and I don't know where you came from, and I'm not even sure who you are, I'm going to need a little bit more to go off of before I start believing that word. And, oh, by the way, I'll just put this up there. A couple of things I want us to think about. But in, in a moment, I'll get there. But I'm going to suggest that I felt like the, this was what the response was. Mm, wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer. No good. There are some questions, listen to me, that just suffocate joy. They just kill it. It can happen in our life too. It's like that's the wrong thing to say at this moment. That's the last thing you should be saying at this moment. You should be rejoicing. This is meant to be good news to you. That's what he says. It's supposed to be good news, my friend. Ha, so much good news. This is good news. And for you, 
for you to be able to doubt this. What are you doing? This was good news and you're not like, you didn't even care. You're asking me to qualify the promises of God. And it's interesting when you contrast that with Mary later on in the chapter, if you read this, Mary's given a very similar thing. And her response, though it looks similar, is actually different because she says, well, how, 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 she goes, how is it possible? How is this going to work? That's the same question you and I would ask. The angel says, well, God's going to over, overwhelm you in his presence. There's going to be the presence of God and the holy thing conceived in you. And she, he, and she says, well, then you know what? Be it unto your handmaid. Be it unto your, I am your servant of the Lord. Right? This is really surrendered faith. Zechariah pulls back. You need to give me a sign, right? And it's a reminder again, you know, Again, just as we look at it, that there are certain types of responses that just really um, just hinder what was meant to be a joyful thing. There, let me put this up. There is a time to receive things with an unqualified joy. Absolutely. And so what I'm hoping partly we will do is be a whole lot less cynical starting this week and maybe make it part of this coming year. Right? We have all the reasons to be. I mean, we live in a world, in a culture. I'm part of it. Everybody knows it. That's part of what happens. I mean, our first response is, I'm not, I, I can't believe you. I'm going to doubt. What is your real motive? What's going on here? I'm not sure. Because you know why? We understand that. We, we're, we are suspicious by nature. We're not going to be anybody's fool. We've seen that all the time. People getting taken advantage of all the time. Did you read the fine print? Because predators abound everywhere. Absolutely they do. Right? What's the old phrase? If it sounds too good to be true, it is. What's the old? Suckers born every moment, every minute. I'm not going to be that one. We're taught partly because people take advantage of the gullible and the naive. We're taught you got to qualify. you got to make sure. you got to double check. And we, get, we don't mean it, but we start to get many of us, not all of us, we start to get a low-grade kind of cynicism that affects us. And it can be brought right into our mo most important relationships and our relationship with God. And Christmas is a time to remind ourselves, you know what, let's drop some of that stuff. Let's be open to the gifts of God. Let's be, let's be open to being more joyful and, and less cynical. Let's always having to qualify things. Got to qualify that. What's your real motive? What's really good? Can we just receive something with joy? The angel says, this is good news. He's going, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure a couple of things. You're going to need to give me another sign. Another sign. I want another sign. What kind of sign? We'll talk about that in a moment. All right? But I'm going to suggest also there's a time for risky faith as well, that we need to stretch our faith a little bit. The angel is, I mean, God was saying, you need to be open here. He said, ah. What does stretching our faith look like? You know, God wants, God wants us to have a sturdier faith. He wants us to, like, any, I never say anything. Our muscles, if they don't work, worked, they atrophy. If we don't have things that we're wrestling with in our lives that we're trying to trust God with, that we're bringing before him, that we're trying to step out in faith around, a word we're seeking to embrace, you know what happens to our faith? It shrinks. It shrivels. It can't be what it was meant to be. That's why I think sometimes actually adversity, and I know we don't like it, and maybe too much of it is overwhelming, but I found the times where I most had to use my faith muscles are in the times where it's been the hardest. 
and my love for the Lord is rekindled. My sense of surrender returns. Um, I start to remind myself, these are false things I've been trusting in. The only thing I can truly trust in is you, Lord. Remind me of these things or my heart is not strong enough for this moment. I need you in those. Will you help me? I surrender to you, Lord. I need you. I can't do this without you. That's when faith emerges. And you know what that does? It's, it grows. It strengthens. It strengthens. It strengthens us. And, a lot of, and, and, and sometimes when things don't go the way we were hoping or things are going wrong, and maybe that's happening to some of us right now, we're struggling with what it means to pray, believing, to claim the promises, which is one of the things that Mark will talk about. Even when we tie, we can, we can claim the promises of God at work in our lives as part of the promise he gives us in his word. He will provide in ways that even go beyond simply monetary things. Right? Well, we wrestle with those prayers. A lot of times people say, well, when I prayed, nothing happened or it didn't work out. Some prayer is true. I don't know why. Some prayers, I noticed, they don't get answered the way I wanted. And maybe Elizabeth and Zechariah had gotten that same mentality, right? Well, that prayer we prayed a long time ago. God didn't show up. We never had a son. I wanted a son all my life, but it didn't happen. And I've even stopped praying years ago. We stopped praying for that a long time ago. Come on. But then God, so why does, why does some prayers get answered and others don't? I... I don't know on this side of eternity. There are some things we'll never know on this side. I know God is good. I know he loves me. I know he's given everything. Couldn't give anything more. Gave it all. I know he suffered. I know he knows everything I feel, not just at a creator level, but as one of us. I know he knows what it's like to be betrayed, forgotten, abandoned, Yes, every one of those things, and to suffer. And he loves us. Now, there are times where God, I don't know, um, the, the prayer doesn't get answered the way we were hoping, or it gets answered in a different way, or we don't see it for years. But if we allow that to stop us from praying, asking, and believing, then there's, if we don't pray, in other words, if we say, well, not every prayer, so I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to ask God for a provision here. Well, then there's one thing we can be sure of, right? If we say, I'm not going to pray because not all the prayers get answered, then one thing we can be sure of, we're never going to have any answered prayers, right? What's the old Gretzky quote, the great hockey player? You miss 100% of the shots you never take. It's the truth. I miss 100% of what I don't take. A lot of times, what did not Jesus say? You have not because you have not asked. Oh, let faith rise within us. Some of us need to pray far more than we've been doing in faith. Verse 19, the angel answered and said, listen to me, Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. What do you mean you need more evidence? What do you, th what do you think I am? I stand in the very presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. This was supposed to be good news. And by the way, it still will be. But if you want a sign, then you'll have a sign. I felt like I was joking about this. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You want a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. Well, that's what I want. I want a sign. No, you, I'm going to give you this sign. You can't talk. That's right. And you're not going to talk again. 
until the day that son that you didn't believe can come, comes. And then he will open your voice. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Your unbelief, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time despite your unbelief. You will not speak. And one thing we also know, you have to read the rest of the chapter. See, I think it's verse 62 in Luke 1, where it says that when they came to Zechariah, they made signs to talk to him. In other words, he wasn't just unable to speak. He couldn't hear. He couldn't hear or speak. He was locked into silence. Right? And, and Lucas says it's that the people, it says the people who were waiting for Zechariah, they were wondering at his delay in the temple. So what happens is, remember I told you about the holy place, right? Not the holy of holies, which is back here with the, with the, the, the holy place. Outside the holy place are people. They're praying and they're waiting. Um, the other priests probably are praying. God, you know, they're waiting. The Lord is good. What the, the custom was, you would do this, you would pray, and then you would walk out, and then you would give the closing blessing. And they're all praying, right? They're all praying. And I can imagine somewhere along the way, they're all praying. They're going, oh, where is he? Come, where is he, right? Come, what's going on in there? Because it's like it's getting delayed. They're praying. They're wondering, what's going on? Why is it taking so long? Oh, did he, is he Okay. Did he, did he, doesn't he know he's supposed to come out here and bless us before we can go? Nothing, right? It says here, it says that he came out, he, when he does, they're wondering, what's his delay? What's the reason for it? Is maybe, what's he doing in there? Verse 22, look at it. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. Comes out, and he, isn't he going to bless us? He's not saying anything, right? Nothing. And they had to do, maybe he had some kind of a thing with God or something that he, he can't talk or something. He's just making signs. Someone else is going to have to do the blessing. What's wrong with Zechariah? Okay. Verse 23, and by the way, he serves out the rest of his week till the next Sabbath in silence. And we can only imagine what that week was like, and yet the judgment also contained the blessing for the silence allowed him as seasons of silence often do the opportunity to listen to God. Verse 23, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home, and again, he made that journey in silence. The last thing I want to submit to you is that Christmas, yes, this time of the year, is a time for listening, for stilling ourselves. Um, let's intentionally create some space for prayerful reflection and long thoughts. Maybe we need to do a little bit, maybe we need to do a little bit of preparation for where we're going. Maybe we need to go old school, cut out the technology for a bit, and just maybe even do some writing, pray, long thoughts. One of the things I love about, you know what, it was a judgment on him, it's true. It was, but you know what? It was also a blessing because he, everything else had to get quiet in his life. At all. And, there are, and I think there are times when, God, you know, we're heading into a new year. How is this one gone? 
Is there a word God has for us to embrace? Or is there a direction we're supposed to move? That's part of what I want to do with the Rise and Shines is get us kind of moving into the new year, thinking about certain things about being all in for God. How are we, how are we, how are we doing? Are we thinking? Are we praying? Do we have any space? Have we created any space at all for God? This is tomorrow night. We create space for the Lord to speak to us joyfully. And then we prepare ourselves, just the rhythm and the way our our you know, culture sets it up. Then we walk into a new year right around the bend. How we, how we end this is going to affect how we go into the new one. What is God saying? How are we supposed to position ourselves for some of the unique things that are going on in our life? What is the Lord trying to get at? What does he want us to hold on to? What new word does he want us to bring and cling to and embrace? Is there a new song to sing? Is there a birthing of some type he wants to give us? All these things are there. So in the midst of Quiet service, Zechariah listened in his own way to God, but until it was time to go home, he finished the week in silence. He traveled in silence. It would have been a little scary too. I can't hear it, I can't, I can't talk. I can write. But I gotta tell people that I back to the hillside town of Judea, back home, back to his wife. You heard me say this. Transition places, listen, can be transformational places. Transition places can be transformational places. That's a positive, by the way. For the older couple, it was a strange but unforgettable reunion. I can say that. (laughs) If If I may say it this way with all humility, it was one of those cases where obedience came easy. We're told in verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months, look at that verse, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, take away my reproach among people. Old Elizabeth, um, she became pregnant, and she felt compelled to withdraw from community because it was kind of unusual. She withdrew from community for about five months, her withdrawal mirroring, mirroring her husband's silence. But her heart was leaping with praise, praise at the kindness of God for opening her womb, praise for answering a prayer, a long ago prayer that she had had given up on, and now to see God doing it, the next two days, I would hope our hearts can leap as well, that we will choose to intentionally remember the reason for this day and mark it with praise in our hearts for the good thing that also God is birthing, the coming of Jesus. I want to embrace it with joy and in faith and in trust. What things does the Lord want us to plant deeply in our praise? What new thing does he want to birth in us? Ah. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to be able to share this word together. I so look forward to tomorrow evening. Um, I know a lot of us are gone um, those, some are far away. Some are watching right now. You're watching right now because you're out visiting with your family in other places of this country, or maybe even the world. But we pray for the goodness and the grace of God to just be here among us. And we're so thankful, Lord. Ah, oh, it's just so thankful. And want to keep that joy in our heart. Stay open to the things you want to birth. We just ask for your blessing. Bless this this day, bless tomorrow, bless Christmas Day, and then the new year. We lay them at your feet, Jesus. Keep our hearts soft and open. In your name we pray. Amen. God. Amen.